Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Now, of all the monsters we've gone over, when I say griffin, most people, especially people who listen to this show, probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Probably, when you hear the word griffin, unless you know someone named griffin, you picture a creature with the front half of an eagle and the back half of a lion. And the biggest difference from person to person might be what species of eagle the front half is, or whether or not the head has ear tufts. But generally, the image in your head right now is probably the same as another listener's. Why is that, though? Out of all the mythical creatures, the dragon, the unicorn, the basilisk, why is it that our shared perception of a creature that is arguably the least likely to exist is one of the most solid? Well, today, let's shake up that same old griffin and go over some early draft griffins, as well as the exciting sequel to griffins. First, let's start out with the classic griffin. Early griffins started appearing in artwork and seals before 3000 BC in ancient Iran and ancient Egypt. They then move on to Levant, Syria, and Anatolia, appearing around 1950 to 1550 BC. Of course, the ancient Greeks also wanted to get in on this hot new eagle lion, and so around the 15th century BC they start appearing in art in Greece, and they become a favorite theme throughout archaic and classical Greek art. Last, the well-traveled griffin arrives in Central Asia around 5th to 4th century BC, brought there by the Persian Empire as a protector from evil, witchcraft, and secret slander, which is a pretty excellent job title. In fact, the griffin becomes so reputable that it gains a second job of guarding treasure and priceless possessions, which begs the questions, A, how do you hire a griffin to guard your treasure? B, what do you pay them? And C, do you think wealthy dragons ever take advantage of this service? All important questions, of course, but let's move on. Now, how did we get this modern depiction of a griffin? And how does one even dream up a griffin? Well, ignoring the possibility of live griffin sightings in the wide, wide ancient world, there are a few theories. And by a few, I mean one made by someone with a degree in this stuff, and one kind of just spitballed by me. Theory one, by the classical folklorist Adrian Mayer, is that the griffin is a misinterpretation of fossilized protoceratops remains found in the gold mines in present-day Kazakhstan and Mongolia. There are records from the Mycenaeans of protoceratops remains being found, and one could argue that with its beaked mouth, four limbs, and a tail, this small ceratopsian dinosaur's skeleton could conceivably be mistaken for a lion with a weird beaked head. Theory 2, just my personal thought, people like combining things. What better combination than the eagle, the so-called king of all birds, and the lion, the so-called king of all beasts, to make one super king of earth and sky animal? Now, the problem is, how do we proportion this super awesome treasure guarding king of beasts? What goes where? Heck, what bird do we use? Well, let me tell you, it was up for debate for a while. Generally, the combination is golden eagle in the front, lion in the back. However, other birds have been used. In a depiction of a griffin from Crete during the Bronze Age, the bird half of the griffin is a white bird with an ornate curling head crest, not unlike a cockatoo's. In ancient Egypt, 
In addition to seeing the half-lion, half-eagle griffins we know and love, we also have the Heracos Sphinx, which has the head of a hawk, and the rest is just lion. Some people in the 15th century preferred this bold, wingless look for the griffin, and changed the hawk head to a golden eagle head, put it on their heraldry, and called it a griffin. But most people missed the wings. So this creature became known as an else, or a keithong. Now, we all like the eagle head and wings, but now comes the problem of what legs go where. Some people thought the front legs of an eagle were understandably not muscly enough. So, a griffin with both the back and front legs of a lion was created, and also given a camel-like neck and tail for good measure. After all, no one messes with an angry camel. Fortunately for the modern griffin, this look was also vetoed, and so this extra-ornery creature became known as the Opinicus, the griffin's jock brother. The griffin finally got nailed down in around the 12th century, and its description in the 12th century Latin bestiary, the Book of Beasts, describes it as, All its bodily members are like a lion's, but its wings and mask are like an eagle's. Which may sound like the Opinicus again, but don't worry, people took this description to mean it had eagle front legs. Not entirely sure where the ear tufts came from, but... As an artist, I can tell you it feels better to include ear tufts than to leave the head smooth, so maybe that's something. Really quickly before we move on, though, even though the griffin's appearance was now nailed down, the British did not agree. So we have one last fifth form. In a small part of British heraldry, for some reason, this species became drastically sexually dimorphic. I don't know if someone decided feathers and wings were somehow feminine or what, but according to this form, Male British griffins have no wings, their bodies are covered in spikes, and they have a horn on their forehead like a unicorn. Female griffins just look like normal griffins. Fortunately, this temporary lapse of sanity seems to have been relegated to the Earl of Carrick, Ireland, and the heraldry has since changed. Both unfortunately and fortunately, I couldn't find a picture. But I trust the validity of this source. Now, putting all these drafts aside... The final griffin is a super predator. Armed with sharp eagle talons and a lion's strong back limbs, this creature would be super great at aerial surprise attacks, easily able to dispatch a horse or a gazelle. The only problem is landing. Lions have low stamina and spend 15 to 20 hours a day sleeping, but they're okay at running. Eagles are great at flying and can use thermal updrafts to stay in the air for hours on end. But have you ever seen an eagle walk on land? It's a somewhat awkward process, with the bird dramatically shifting side to side with each step like a cowboy. A griffin would probably be more awkward on land than a lion, and with a lion's stamina, this creature would be prone to many naps. So the problem with griffins is, they are great predators in the air and look cool as hell. But with low stamina and awkward locomotion, they don't make a very good mount, which is, of course, a major consideration for mount-based societies. How do we take all the cool factor of a griffin, but make it rideable? Enter the Hippogriff, the exciting sequel to griffins. Hippogriffs are the offspring of a griffin and a mare, and have the head, wings, and front legs of an eagle, and the back half of a horse. They of course presumably still have lion genetics, but now with the convenient rideability of a horse, and also the much increased stamina of a horse. I assume they would still logistically be slower than a horse on land, but who needs to walk when you can fly? Now, don't ask me how you feed a hippogriff, as a predatory bird's digestive tract and a horse's digestive tract are wildly incompatible, 
but I digress. The hippogriff is interesting in that it may have started out as a paradox. You see, throughout the ancient world, while the griffin spread, so did its rumored favorite prey. It was widely accepted that the griffin's favorite food was horse, and that griffins attacked and ate horses any chance they got. Which would make sense, as eagles have been known on rare occasions to take down deer, and lions are pretty famous for eating gazelle. Neither predator would say no to horse meat if given the opportunity. So, a griffin mating with a horse? Unlikely. When a griffin mates with a horse was probably the ancient equivalent of when pigs fly. And yet Virgil in his epic poem describes the hippogriff as a creature specifically born of a griffin and a mare, and this incredibly fast steed, able to fly around the world and to the moon and back, is written by the hero in Virgil's epic poem to rescue his love. Later, in France during the Middle Ages, it was purported that a hippogriff lived near Surrey, in the county of Rousselin in modern-day France. The hippogriff is occasionally depicted in heraldry, though interestingly, per scholar of heraldry John Vinicombe, the hippogriff is not depicted in British heraldry. I guess a spiky unicorn eagle lion is alright, but an eagle horse is too far. This may possibly be because, like the liger, the offspring of a lion and a tiger, a hippogriff may be powerful, but it's probably also sterile. You see, Hybrid animals like ligers, mules, and zebroids are rare because one of the things that makes a species a species is that animals of one species can't breed with another, or if they do, their offspring will either not survive or be unable to pass on its genetics. Griffins have no origin myth, so presumably, griffins can breed with other griffins to make more griffins. The hippogriff is specifically the offspring of a griffin and a mare meaning that to get a hippogriff, you need a griffin and a mayor, not two hippogriffs. Also, the scarcity of hippogriffs in early mythology is somewhat telling, as you do occasionally hear of griffins in pairs or even groups, but in any story involving a hippogriff, there's only one. Also, it's a hybrid of a hybrid, so there's that. So, sorry hippogriffs, guess you win some, you lose some. That being said though, this griffin child has done alright for itself. It's become a symbol of either Apollo's connection to muses or the sun, a symbol of the power of love, and a much-beloved minor character in Harry Potter. You go, Griff. That's all for Hippogriffs and Griffins. I hope you enjoyed these many-faceted eagle hybrids, and if you're curious about any of these stories, check the show notes to find out more. Intro and outro music is by Scott Ethington. Lastly, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.